Welcome to Women Waken, a holistic guide to wellness and abundant self-love, where we navigate healing, relationships, building self-confidence, and unconditional self-love and acceptance for an abundant life. I'm your host, Whitney Walker. I'm a licensed mental health therapist, and I specialize in substance abuse, addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and spirituality. I thought sobriety was like real shitty. You know, I, I can't imagine like not drinking and doing drugs. Like this is crazy. How are they happy and having fun? And all I knew is that at this point I was ready for that. I was ready to like be the people I saw that were just living a normal life. Yeah. And, and I didn't have any big dreams. I didn't have any big goals. For the first five years, it was nothing but like, I just want to live a good life. I want to just be good. And and that was it. And that's exactly what I got. On this episode, I welcome the dynamic duo, Jeremy Miller and Dallas Terrell, who are the force behind Rehab Road Trips. Jeremy and Dallas met years ago, back when they were in rehab for addiction to drug and alcohol and have been best friends ever since and decided to start their own business together. And they now work together in video production, filming videos at various rehab and detox and also therapy centers that offer greater insight and understanding of what actually goes on here and and enables people to find what might be the best fit for them based on the program and the values and ideas behind these places, which isn't always accessible. Jeremy and Dallas share a lot about their personal stories of addiction and recovery. They offer some great tips about how we can recognize that we might be struggling or having a problem and then what we can do about that, that we can always have hope and how to be able to reach out for support and guidance when we're in our darkest hour and feel like we've drifted miles away from ourselves and need to find our way back. They also offer us a beautiful reminder that recovery is actually a bright and beautiful thing. It can be a lot of fun and lead to great self-improvement and feeling much stronger in who we are, confident about our gifts and abilities, and at peace with our past and the person that we are. So here's Jeremy, Dallas, and I, and be sure to check out the Rehab Road Trip Boys. Hello, Jeremy and Dallas. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. What's up, Wit? Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so awesome to be meeting with you and to exploring your dream come to life. Your Okay, so I'm a, a big fan of creative birth stories, right? Like where somebody, you have an idea and you're like, it's just an idea. And then you like let it kind of maul and simmer and stuff. And then you give birth to it. And then it is out. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like every oh, yeah. is first in a gestation period before. And then you have to like do the labor of getting it out. And it's not easy, right? That's why a lot of people don't do it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will never go forward with their dreams because it's hard to actually mm-hmm. conceive of something. So I have to say, Jeremy, I remember so well, two years ago, you were like, I have this idea. We were talking about work and dreams and our pursuits and stuff. And you're like, well, I have this idea. It's not really like a thing yet, but like, I've been kicking it around with my buddy Dallas and I'm really thinking about going for it. And I'll I'll go ahead and say that I actually did a tarot reading for you. Mm -hmm. 
Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Dallas this, but a card came out that was the Ace of Pentacles, which is actually all about very fortuitous and abundant pursuits in like work and life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do you have something going on that you're thinking about doing? Cause it looks like it would be very successful. And that's when you're like, um, yeah. yeah. So that's wow. road trips. Can you guys tell us all about it? Yeah, sure. So I think, um, a good place to start would kind of be the, the origin story. Um, and, and I think it's important to include, uh, you know, kind of where Dal and I came from, how it, how it came to be. Um, so Dal and I worked in residential treatment for a long time. We both got sober in our early twenties and got to work in residential treatment and did pretty much all the, the whole gamut of roles. We were techs, we were counselors, admissions, aftercare, detox. Uh, and eventually I ended up in a C-level position doing marketing and media type stuff. And the whole time we both had this kind of realization, well, not the whole time, but towards the end, we had this realization that we have big voices and love to share them. We started a podcast. It was pretty successful and we loved our, our podcast and we, we did it for a while. And at a certain point, we both kind of hit this, this realization that we were, we didn't want to record just for the sake of recording. And it started to kind of feel like that where we were doing it to check a box, but it wasn't quite as fulfilling or energizing as it once was. And neither was our work in residential treatment. We both kind of hit that spot where it was like, man, there's more to this than what we're doing. There's, there's more, we don't know what, but we know for sure that there is more. And, and then COVID happened, right? Um, I left my job right before COVID hit, like literally last day of February. Pandemic happened, we're in lockdown, everyone's just like going nuts and and it was awesome because it afforded us both a lot of space to wonder and become curious about what's out there, what's possible, and what do we feel called to do? What are we feeling pulled to do? And I don't think that if if COVID hadn't happened, I don't think we would have had that space, honestly. Um, and so what happened was we we loved doing media, loved doing the pod, wanted to do more. We ultimately wanted to reach a bigger audience with kind of our take on recovery. And I was looking at a lot of treatment centers, websites. I was doing some like freelance marketing, branding stuff and realized that all these websites from for these multi-million dollar agencies have these terrible, cringy videos, right? that reminded me a lot of like sex ed videos from middle school where it's just like, Oh my God, these are so bad. (laughs) Like how can anyone take this seriously? Like the sad piano. And, and so I, I went outside, I started thinking like, dang, what could we do to help people find recovery? And the answer we landed on, um, was making videos. And I, I'd always been attracted to film. Dal and I would, uh, you know, get off work at, at the treatment center we worked at. And like, you know, we'd mess around with our cameras and write scripts and stuff. And I was like, dude, what if we like, what if we cruised around and filmed really good videos at these treatment centers? And if we film them a certain way, if we, if we do it where it's, 
equal parts entertaining, authentic, and engaging, like we might be able to help people feel better about going to rehab. And if, if they know more about where they're going and who they're going to be with, maybe it'll make that yes a lot easier. And I, I had this idea, but it was like barely an idea. Dal came over and we just started riffing and ultimately like co-created this idea of rehab road trips where uh, we cruise around and, and shoot really good media for behavioral health. And that's kind of the origin story, I would say, in a nutshell. Great nutshell. A big great nutshell. <laughs> and, you know, it is so, it's a beautiful idea. It's an important idea because I worked in the recovery industry as well. And as you guys know, the thing about recovery that can be challenging is it's big business. Yeah. And there's a lot of money to be made in addiction and recovery. Yeah. It can be hard for somebody who's looking for a place to go where they say, where can I go where I can genuinely get help that people really care about me. Yeah. And that can be a little bit hard to find because you can do this cut and paste model of recovery and make tons and tons of money and not really even look at the person, right? Yeah. Just tell them like, just throw some stuff at them, take all their money, even if it doesn't work. So yeah. what I love about what you two are doing is you're actually going in there and you're kind of doing the groundwork. You mm -hmm. already know a little bit because I know that you guys work with people who you know, you know, you can vouch for it. You know, these people, you know, these establishments, a general person in the population doesn't know, like they have no idea whether this is a, a solid place, a genuine, authentic place. So you guys are going into these gems and being like, let's put it out there so people can find you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, a big part of it too, like you said, that Dal especially was, was fired up about was you know, cause I was, I was kind of filling him in on, on how marketing works in treatment. And it's, uh, it is the wildest thing to me. And even with all of my knowledge, I still have no idea how this reality is possible, but treatment centers are competing with each other over leads. And I don't get it because there are far more people addicted then there are beds in treatment. And it is a very difficult problem to solve. There's so many different factors and layers involved. But one of the things that Dal was super clear on was like, man, there's these big programs that are body brokering and, and they're, they have like unethical and immoral practices and they're getting a lot of business and a big part of what we wanted to do was only work with the people we knew for a fact are providing ethical services for their clients and, and caring about the people that come through the door uh, beyond, like you said, just a head and a bed beyond just the insurance payout every month. Uh, and, and that became a, a really big part. And it's, it's a huge pain in the ass, to be honest, because there's times where we, we could certainly use the money, uh, you know, <laughs> and, you know, we've had to say no to some big, big payouts for us because yeah. we don't, um, we don't want to shoot programs that we don't believe in. And so it's like an easy no, that's hard to say, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, that you'll find that as you gain more success, that you get more doors opening, but you both are the message I always got from you guys through, you know, your podcast, the betterment bros and just knowing you each, which, which by the way, your podcast 
is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I look forward to you guys expanding with the Rehab Road Trips podcast because when you guys riff and talk, again, I think you guys share so much that's so relatable and helpful. Thank and back to you know that idea that you're going to have opportunities, but you have to stay true to yourself, right? And that's a big part of what I like to focus on in my work is how can we move through life in a way that we stay true to ourselves and true to the things that we do so that we don't get caught up in what is already the biggest issue in our world, which is inauthenticity and people just mm -hmm. seeking externals. And because that just becomes the greater addiction problem of our world, which is believing that we are only what we achieve or what we can do or the money we get. And yeah. it can be so hard not to tap into that, that temptation of like, oh man, that money. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. We could do that and we could take off. But when you take care of yourself, it's more slow and steady, but it's, you get to keep that internal integrity. Yep. Yeah. And it's a battle. It's definitely a battle for sure. Like to, like Jeremy said, you know, turn down money for principles, but it, it, I guess I feel exactly how Jeremy said, where it's, it's the easiest, hardest thing. It's like, it's not actually that hard. Mm -hmm. Like it's a little bit inconvenient sometimes, but we'd much rather highlight people that are saving lives to a degree that we think they should be. Yeah. You know, I kind of, it's kind of like, um, Tony Robbins would always say, like, it's easier to tear someone's building down than to build your own. And, you know, we are trying to elevate. We're trying to elevate treatment centers that are kicking ass, essentially. Yeah. As opposed to trying to tear down the ones we know that aren't. Yeah. And that just takes longer. It takes longer to build that building and that audience and that visibility to say, you know, these places are saving lives and these are the legit places mm -hmm. that we think should have our attention. Yeah. But that's okay that it takes time because you guys are starting early. You know, you guys are early to the game. You're young, you're fresh. And also to note what's so awesome about you too, as people might not know, you guys are best friends. And yeah, yeah. For a long time. So not only have you guys started a business, become entrepreneurs, but you're doing it with your best buddy. Like that's uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, but on that, you know, Jeremy, you mentioned about you guys met when you were in recovery, but, you know, speaking to people not knowing how to seek treatment or having to go to treatment, would you guys be open to sharing a little bit about why did you choose to get sober or at the point that you were at, did it feel like it wasn't a choice? I ask this because I think some people think it's going to be really obvious if they have a problem or need to get sober, but sometimes it's not always, sometimes it is, but so I'd love for you guys to share. I've actually heard your episodes on your betterment bros you guys both shared your story so i do know mm -hmm. that you guys had a pretty you know it was intense when yeah. you guys had to come you know go to treatment and to uh face that reality so i'd love to hear because again i think it's helpful for people to know that things can get like pretty challenging and difficult and you can still turn out to have your dreams come true oh yeah and and that's another great message that you guys have is like, you can have a kick-ass, amazing life, even if at one point you maybe didn't even want to freaking do this anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, before we dive into our own recovery stories, I think what you just said is like truly why we're here. And that is that the industry that we're in, the society that we live in, culture at large in America is so infatuated with the doom and the gloom. And, you know, we were at this networking event last week and 
we heard it like three or four times that like fentanyl is killing everyone. And it's like, yeah, you know, fentanyl is a scary thing. It's uh it's a scary thing as, as someone who got sober, what feels like a long time ago where fentanyl wasn't part of the game. It's scary now to see what fentanyl is doing. And also it's definitely not killing everybody. There are, there are so many people that are winning and successful in their recovery. And that's what we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that, like that it's that message is what we feel like to people listening, because that's really the driving force for us both is like, we had dark stories, you know, like it, it, not, when you go to treatment, life's not great, you know? Yeah. Um, but life is great now and it can be great for everybody. And I think that's really important to our, it's key to our messaging. It's one of our core values that we don't go into the doom and gloom. We talk about the vitality, the joy, the life, of, of recovery more so than the pains of addiction, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just had to say that because it, it feels good when you get it echoed back, you know? Yeah. Well, hey, you want me to kick it off? Kick it off, Dal. Bring that mic a little closer. Yeah, there you go. Can you guys hear me pretty well? Or yeah, what? yeah. You sound great, dude. Just so you know, Whitney, I've been feeling sick for the past three days. So that's why my voice sounds like a very low. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> and... Uh, yeah, if this makes no sense, I uh, participated in medicine called Dayquil, <laughs> and we joke around. We're so sober that when we take Dayquil, we feel slightly fucked up. So, yeah, dude. Like, whoa, what is this? Yeah, yeah I'm like, dang, dude, I feel all. We we call it quilled. We're, yeah, uh, feeling Dayquilled. Feeling quilled today, yeah. just a little bit. But yeah, I mean, obviously, everything Jeremy just said. That's definitely kind of our. Uh, shared view is that recovery is very bright and full of life and exciting, you know, like, uh, me and him both got sober at 21 and we were just young kids, you know, that got a sweet opportunity to live uh, a a second life essentially. Um, but just kind of for some context for me, I was, uh, just a normal, normal ass kid, you know, and, uh, my stepbrother, started using heroin around 16 years old. I was 16 as well. We were the same age and we lived together and I maybe smoked pot and drank alcohol on the weekends and played sports and, you know, had A's and B's, nothing, nothing wrong. Just kind of a typical, typical dude living in Arizona with a blended family. And my stepbrother started getting into drugs uh, way earlier. Like he got arrested at 12, like in seventh grade for having pot. And he was always kind of the the quote unquote bad kid, and um, I guess we'll fast forward it. But essentially, one time he came home with uh, black tar heroin and said it was hash, and I smoked hash with him, and I was like, "Dang, this is some of the best hash I've ever had." <laughs> um, and so we did some hash, and you know, uh, we started doing a little bit more together. I live with my mom. I live with my dad. So I'd only be there half the time. So I go to my mom's and I'd come back and be like, dude, let's smoke that hash again. And then that turned into every weekend and turned into every day. And that turned into shooting heroin and as a, a senior in high school. And so I graduated high school barely with like, I think a 1.4 GPA. So like I barely made it out of high school and moved to Park City, Utah. And just to get away from the drugs and everything like that, was able to 
kind of get away for about six months and about six months into being in Utah, I found uh, heroin again. Took a while to find it there because a lot of people were Mormon and didn't didn't drink, didn't party. It was very like underground in Utah. Mm-hmm. So it took me six months to find drugs. You know, that's <laughs> a long time for someone that wanted them. First day I got there. <laughs> but anyway, so I'll fast forward. I went to treatment when I got to Utah, like maybe six months into being in Utah being in Utah. I started using six months after that. I went to Cirque Lodge Treatment Center in Utah. Lindsay Lohan went there. That's kind of like their claim to fame. If you ever see, you know, yeah. Parent Trap. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan was there. Not and, the same uh, time that you were though, right? Were you guys like hanging out or this was before? Nah, no, nah, she wasn't there. She wasn't there. Probably for the best. Probably for the best. Probably for the <laughs> for best. The is. But they'd always tell you that. They're like, you know, Lindsay Lohan came here. I was like, damn. Well, she's not That's doing well. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. It's not a great promotion either because I don't know that she stayed very sober after treatment, but. Yeah, bad. <laughs> I don't bad think so. Mar- yeah, bad marketing for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, let's see. I, I didn't want to get too much into the like silly detail like to me like this type of stuff is silly like the, i went to treatment and i did this i did that yeah. what's important to me is like i went to treatment seven times from 18 to 20 almost 22 years old and i went to treatment in arizona in california in florida in new york in utah so i traveled the country far and wide to figure out how to get sober and never figured it out um Let's see, when I finally did go to my final treatment center, I um, was living, I was homeless in in Salt Lake City. And I got a call from my mom essentially saying that my grandfather had a heart attack. And she, we haven't been talking, me and my mom at all at that point. And she texts me saying, hey, your grandpa had a heart attack. Just want to let you know, by the way, it'd be cool if I didn't have my dad and my son die in the same week. And so I got that message in the morning and I wasn't like messed up on drugs. I kind of had just woken up and received that, that message. And it just was able to land for some reason by the grace of God or whatever it was. I just was able to receive that message very clearly that like my mom was in some big suffering because of my grandfather, because of me and I ended up calling her and she updated me about my grandpa and spent most of the time encouraging me, encouraging me to go get treatment. And I did. So I went to treatment that day. Like by the end of that day, I was in California, Watsonville, California. So that was like the big push to get sober was kind of like, I always in my head, like someone needed to lose their life to show me the value of mine. And that was kind of the big push that led me into Watsonville and meeting Jeremy and meeting all these young, sober, cool people that looked like they were having a good time and really changed my opinion about recovery and sobriety and and what it could look like and how it could feel. And from there, I just kind of caught the bug of Mm. recovery. My life got better each year. And, you know, now here we are kind of almost nine years later, running a business, living in Watsonville, about to get married, three dogs, just happy as a clam you know besides feeling a little shitty today weather wise and in sickness but other than that dude like we're winning 
Yeah. You know? And uh, I I think that's it. I think that's kind of my my context or my story about how we landed in this couch. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Dallas. And lots of questions come up, but one I want to ask before we get Jeremy on is when you were deep in that, when you were in and out of rehabs, did you think that you would come out of this? Did you think that one day you'd get sober and have a beautiful life that you loved? Or were you in a place where you thought, I don't know that I'll ever have that? It's hard to say. I think I went in and out of both of that. I think mainly, mainly I, I knew deep down I couldn't keep it up forever. It was just too crazy of a lifestyle. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't really know. I know I wavered a lot. I was also so young. So it was kind of like most people my age went to college to figure out what the hell they wanted to do, what the hell they wanted to do. And I just partied more essentially. So it was essentially like I spent four years partying way harder than the people did in college. And then we all at the same time at 22 tried to figure out what the hell we really wanted to do. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's really, it's a good question. I just, I don't know. I don't know if I thought my life could be grand and important. I kind of just thought I was going to be a baseball player my whole life, played baseball every single day of my life, literally became a heroin addict within a month threw my life down the drain in one year and then continued to party for three more years and then woke up in California and was like, what the fuck was all that? <laughs> like, that's kind of how it feels, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. And it, and it makes sense, you know, because in your early 20s, well, there's a lot of things to say about that, which again, I think are conversations not of people have, have is that it's very normalized to party a ton and drink a ton and use a lot of drugs. Yeah. And even after, you know, I guess my question is more appropriate for somebody who gets is trying to get sober when they're when they're like in their 30s or in their 40s and they're like, what's the point? I don't think I'll ever be healthy or happy. But in, in those early years, you're just kind of riding that that wave of like feeling invincible a little bit, but also like whatever. I'm just the party doesn't stop until you get these certain moments, like when your mom calls or you're like, shit, this isn't yeah. affecting other people. This yeah. is affecting me. This this can't be sustained. Can kind of bring you to life and aware that wow, this this isn't maybe what I want. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The stakes were high. The stakes got a little too high. And I think I always knew in the back of my head that you could, I couldn't live the life that I was living. And I proved it true. I would live it for a little bit and then go to treatment. And so that was actually the pattern was like all gas, no brakes, and then the wheels fall off and you have to go fix it. Mm -hmm. And so even in addiction, I couldn't even keep my addiction up mm -hmm. long enough before crashing into a wall, you know, and that wall was either treatment, jail, violence, whatever it was, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. great question. I wish I had the answer to it. <laughs> you got it. I think you do. Yeah. And Jeremy, how about you? Because, you know, you have a very unique story, unique life. And I kind of wanted to mention that because I know you're also working on a book because you're multifaceted. You're taking on a lot of things and you're deciding to write a story, a book about your, your story, your particular mm -hmm. path. And because I know that it's all a part of your bigger story of addiction and recovery and who you are today. How do you describe your, your journey to seeking recovery or having to get to that point where you realize again, that this wasn't what you wanted? Yeah, I think, um, well, I, I mean, I, 
I started life in a pretty unique way, I think, in that um, I was adopted and and the circumstances under which I was adopted are are unique in their own way and also like super common, you know. Um, my birth mom was super young. My birth dad was like, oh my God, you're pregnant. I'm out of here. It, you know, it's unique, but also pretty common, you know. Um, I think for the majority of my youth, as a, a little guy, as a teen, I always felt really disconnected um, from family specifically. I often felt very on the outside, which is hard to describe accurately. It, it's like I never really felt a part of I was uh, I was bullied a lot in in elementary school. I was a weird kid, you know. I was like super weird. I was like pretty much the same as I am now without like social awareness, you know. And so like I got I got picked on and but really like the from my youth, my adolescence, the what was there was this feeling that I was disconnected from the larger picture. I never felt like my family was the kind of family that I saw everywhere else. And a lot of people experience that even when they're not adopted. I think for me, it was like, it wasn't so much evidence-based. It wasn't like I saw things or the external was a certain way. It was this feeling that I'm not a part of the way other people are a part of. And there's a very specific example. I'll keep it brief. I was at a baseball game and I think I was like seven or eight maybe. And I saw my friend Jake with his mom and they looked a lot alike. She was young and very pretty from what I remembered. And she was sitting in one of those lawn chairs that's like real close to the ground. You know what I'm talking about? And she was sitting there and he was leaning against her legs. You know, she had her legs up and he was kind of leaning on her knees and they were just like messing with each other. And I couldn't, I couldn't grasp it. I didn't get it. I was like, what is that? Like, what is that? I don't have, I don't get it. And it was confusing. And in high school, you know, it's like high school is a shit show no matter what, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and it, it was just like gasoline on the, on the flames because I just, I, I didn't feel like anything was quite right for me. And that, I think that is where I, I fell in love with skateboarding because it's something you do on your own. You're not competing with other people. You're competing with yourself. And I went all in on skateboarding. I was more disciplined about skateboarding than anything else in my life. And that's still true to this day. There is nothing in my life today that I am as disciplined in as I was in skateboarding back then. Nice. And it genuinely saved my life because I would, you know, be at home feeling like an outcast, feeling weird, feeling guilty, feeling ashamed, not know at all why. And I'd grab my board, go out and skate, and it all went away. And so I'm very grateful for that. I've, I've never really pieced that together until right now, but just grateful for that. But 
I've never heard that either. Yeah, it's like every time we do one of these, I like unearth more yeah. things, you know. But and I learn more about him through yeah. the process, yeah. which is ironic. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, we both love skateboarding, dude. I forgot about that. Yeah, just run it away from our trauma, dude. No yeah. big deal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so high school, I started drinking, and college, I, I dropped out. And the reason I dropped out is because uh, I discovered Adderall. I was diagnosed ADD when I was real little. And, um, that's maybe another podcast, my philosophies on all that stuff, but I, I was on meds for a long time and Adderall made me feel like a piece of wood. It robbed me of my beingness, my personality. I'm a very outgoing person, very loving. And I love people. When I took Adderall, it was like, I wanted to disappear. I felt like I had no, there wasn't a smile in me. And one morning I was off to college and my girlfriend at the time called me and said, hey, um, my parents are out of town. We're having a bunch of people over for mimosas and brunch. And I was like, well, that sounds way better than school. Let's do it, you know. And, but I had already taken my Adderall, and I was so worried that I'd be at this party and not be me, you know. And so I'd already taken it, and, you know, there's alcohol everywhere, and I drank. And the combination of alcohol and Adderall sent me to the fricking moon. It was the best experience of my life. I was, I was me with the volume at 20 instead of 10. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I cracked the code. If I take my Adderall and drink, like I'm unstoppable. I'm focused. I'm outgoing. Like everything goes super well. I love school all of a sudden. Like I could sit at my computer and edit music for 10 hours and that is really kind of where things went bad for me because my tolerance went up. So what once was a shot that would last me all day turned into a fifth, you know, 750 milliliters mm -hmm. of alcohol just to get me through the day. And I became dependent. My parents got divorced. I got kicked out of my apartment. My girlfriend at the time cheated on me and all this crazy stuff. I mean, we were terrible to each other. You know, I don't want to villainize her. Like I was <laughs> way worse, you know? And I, I ended up uh, getting kicked out of my apartment and my dad's, you know, I, I called my dad and I was like telling him what was going on. And he jokingly said, well, why don't you pitch a tent in the backyard? And I said, Oh my God, that's a great idea, dude. It's like rent free. I can move into a tent, get a job. I'll get my life back, you know? <laughs> And, and that was in July, a couple days before my birthday, I moved into a tent and that was uh, July of 2008. I didn't go to treatment until January of 2009. So I was surviving the Colorado winter in a tent and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are so many funny stories in there uh, that we'll skip. But the, the, the real story there is that there were two occasions where I attempted to take my life and uh both obviously unsuccessful but the the second time i was really going for it and it was a very intense couple of days but i remember uh either the day after or two days after um i was in my tent and i had a little desktop computer in there i, I ran an extension cord from the house so I could watch movies, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> movies are my life. 
So I'm like out there watching movies, you know, it wasn't all bad. I was freezing cold, uh, but, <laughs> but it was all right. You, you didn't know? run a space heater, but yeah. you did run the internet. If I had had a heater, man, I would have run it, you know, but I had an electric blanket. So like, you know, it was cool. I wasn't hypothermic, uh, at least not to my knowledge, <laughs> but, uh, but I watched Iron Man and it completely changed my life. I, I look at this character and he's in a cave, he's cold, he's alone. That's how I felt. And I watched him go through this character arc. And I thought to myself, holy shit, like that could be me. Like maybe, maybe I've been looking at this all wrong. And maybe this is just the first act of my story. And, and maybe if I do something and maybe if I get help, like everyone's been screaming at me to do, maybe that's what'll get me into the second act of my movie. And so the next day I, uh, I went and, and talked to my mom and I said, you know, I think, uh, I think I'd like to go to rehab. And we found a place and like Dal said, I was on a plane the next day in California. And um, when we got to treatment, we had a very unique treatment experience, I'll say. But like Dal, it was like, wow, people are like having fun. I thought sobriety was like real shitty. You know, I, I can't imagine like not drinking and doing drugs. Like, this is crazy. How are they happy and having fun? And all I knew is that at this point, I was ready for that. I was ready to like be the people I saw that were just living a normal life. Yeah. And, and I didn't have any big dreams. I didn't have any big goals. For the first five years, it was nothing but like, I just want to live a good life. I want to just be good. And, th and that was it. And that's exactly what I got. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you yeah. both. Um, I know you guys have probably told that a lot, but I appreciate you all sharing. Cause again, that we just, the thing I love about podcasts or any sort of, you know, video or thing we put out, which I know you guys appreciate and value is that you don't know who's going to hear it. And you can Truth. never know, you know, I was talking to somebody a while back when I was kind of frustrated, like, well, I don't know if this is going anywhere. And they said, you know, you can't just look at views or downloads. Like you can never know like the ripple effect of what you put out into the world. Yep. Right. Yeah. So yeah. every time we share our story, somebody might hear it who needed to hear just one little thing that you said. Yeah. So, and you both have remarkable stories, you know, and very admirable stories that you guys are where you are today, because I don't know about you guys, but I had times where I was still in my addiction. I'm in, you know, recovery as well. I'm sober where I would hearing about people who's like, we're doing great things and super happy. And I was like, that's never going to be me. I need to drink. I need to use to feel happy to, yep. you know, I think it's also important for people to know that not, you know, drinking or using drugs doesn't mean you don't have fun anymore. Because oh, that's yeah. definitely what I thought. I was like, okay, so I'll get sober and it's going to suck. And I guess I'll just be done with fun or looking forward to things. Or Cause I was so used to that anticipation, right? Of like, okay, I'm going to go out Friday night pre-drink, get fucked up. Who knows where the night will take me, that excitement. And I'm like, this is going to be so boring. Yeah. But there's a trade-off though, which is that maybe you get rid of that potential for excitement, but you also take away the chaos. Yeah. The turmoil that comes with using. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. 100%. I think we get accustomed to the chaos. Like even in hearing you kind of explain the, it's Friday, and then we get a party Saturday and we party Sunday and then we like try to get healthy before Monday. Like I remember that like energy and I feel like that's just kind of like the 
culture yeah like oh, yeah. of of at least america maybe but <laughs> i don't know like i i it like brings me back to that mindset of like being in high school and it's like what are we doing friday and what are we doing saturday and then sunday you you fix everything you get through monday through friday to just do it again and what i've seen is like some people just never get out of that habit yeah, yeah. where that goes to college and then it happens after they get out of college and they get their job and then they're doing it on the weekend and then they come to treatment to see Jeremy and I mm -hmm. and it's just wild to think that in my experience some of this addiction in this world has just been through sheer like culture and habit mm -hmm. like it's just this habit of like Monday through Friday sucks and on the weekend you can like let loose and let your hair down and like have some fun yeah but monday through friday you're working and it's not true yeah you know and it's not uh it's not my experience and when i got sober i was able to actually be like damn what if i just enjoyed what is happening already yeah and then nine years of just trying to learn how to do that and mm -hmm. that served my life far more than just biting down on the mouthpiece and getting through the weekend and then having fun on the weekend like I'm like, damn, I missed out on so much, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. just because of that, uh, that belief system or that framework. Um, yeah. And that just what you said kind of reminded me of that, that framework of the weekend, <laughs> get to the weekend, you know, <laughs> yeah. everything else sucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which is not true, obviously, but. <laughs> well, it is kind of crazy. That really is the way our society is structured is like force yourself through your Monday through Friday, which is the majority by the way like that's the majority the weekend is the, this minor little piece and you're supposed to like cram in like some final fun and freedom and then wake up and what like be miserable and right. i think as as people who have sought to start our own thing and go our own way it's because you know you want something more you want to love what you do every day right yeah. and it's sober too is like it starts to be so exhausting to like yeah. go so freaking hard and then drag yourself back into your life and just and you're like am I just trying to get through life like just get through the days it starts to feel this isn't how I want to live yep yeah and, and I, I think like you know we we don't really we don't ever really go here but I I think maybe we'll where go are we, where are we going go, take into, where are we going Miller <laughs> so it's just, it's too, it's, okay, so we went to treatment at a place called Narconon, okay, and both it's, uh, both of us did, yeah. Oh, I didn't know the and, okay. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a, it, it's a program, I don't know if they're still around, I, I certainly can't believe they are as big now as they were when we went through, but it's, uh, it's a different kind of treatment center, and it's all based on L. Ron Hubbard stuff and Scientology, Scientology stuff. L. Ron Hubbard. And, and so, and we didn't, you know, like, like Dal said, when we went through, we were 22 years old, like, just kind of like, oh, what the hell? Like, yeah, fuck it. We'll get I sober, dude. I hadn't even heard of the word Scientology. Me either. Yeah, me either. Uh, and then, of course, like, when we graduate treatment, we're like, oh, shit, this is like, you know, this is L. Ron Hubbard Scientology shit. Like, what's that? And then we're on Google and holy shit, you know. And anyway, uh, it was a very interesting, brief little chapter. But I think, like, I can't help but see the corollary because there is this idea, this program that we've all bought into 
that sobriety is this. And when you go to a treatment center where it's like, you know, weird shit like L. Ron Hubbard, it's not at all part of the program. And so while it's true that I, I wouldn't recommend it for other people, I wouldn't recommend someone go to an Arcanon because clinically I don't think much happens there. And yet somehow like Dal and I are both still sober. Mm -hmm. uh, so who knows? But the point is that I went to treatment one time and in that one time I saw people super happy and like living life and not using. And it wasn't about like get through the day. It wasn't, I never heard the saying one day at a time uh, or it works if you work it. Like I heard that in the rooms of AA uh, but I never heard it when we were in treatment. And I think it's like a big part of why we are the way we are, because I didn't learn recovery the way most people learn recovery. Mm -hmm. the, the, and, and the paradigm that exists that is changing uh, is much like what you guys are saying, where it's like, yeah, man, we take this thing one day at a time. And if you, you know, you, the minute you open your eyes to the minute your head hits the pillow, it's a battle for your sobriety. That was just never true for me. Yeah. And like, I have hard days even still where it's like, man, I can't tell you like where I'll have the thought like, damn, a drink would be pretty good right now, you know, <laughs> or like, damn, like, you know, hitting, hitting a Percocet or something doesn't sound half bad, you know, <laughs> um, there are tough days, arguably more now than I've ever really had. I think the difference is a very simple knowing that the kind of tough they are is the best kind of tough there is where the, the challenges in my way, the things that I'm present with, whether internally or externally are opportunities for movement, opportunities for growth and discovery. And before in my addiction, everything that was there was just too much in in too overwhelming to even see another side and so it's like this really interesting thing where the thing that got us sober was like this weird kind of cuckoo thing over here on the side that nobody knew about and the difference the key difference was just the paradigm that like no dude recovery like you're not broken you're not like some you know fucked up thing like you had a rough life and you need to learn how to live life better. That's it. And so when we learned how to live life better, it's like, cool. My addiction was the result of my trauma and my shame and blah, blah, blah. But also it's just like a lack of knowing. If I don't know how to manage my internal landscape, if I don't know how to craft my external to best serve me, I'm going to end up using drugs and alcohol because that not knowing creates so much pain. It costs us so much to not know these things, you know? And so I think that that's like a big piece of our collective philosophy in, in terms of recovery. Yeah. Fair to say? Fair to say. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I took that one for a ride, man. You I took I that know. one for a ride, and yeah. now I get why he's like, We're, we don't usually go here. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we went to Scientology rehab. <laughs> <laughs> Like, let's take away the conventions, right? Let's take away the rules because, you yeah. know, I went there and I kind of want to go a little bit more with it, um, is that yeah. 
then I want to get into the fun stuff. But like, there's a lot that pisses me off about these ideas and messaging around who you are when you were addicted or who you are or what happened, right? Because when I was getting sober, you know, I just, I wanted some guidance. I was so lost. I just wanted to be like, how can this work? How can I start to feel good about who I am? And that's also something I want to get into is I think that that's one of the beautiful things is, you know, when you're addicted, it's really hard to feel good about who you are when you're in addiction. Oh yeah. Sober, you really start to be able to say, just as you were saying, Jeremy, like there was never anything wrong with me. I just was going in a direction yeah. that wasn't working. I didn't have the knowledge and understanding. And now I do. And I can see differently who I am and my potential and what life is about. But anyways, yeah. I, I got a lot of messaging that was like, who, when you were drinking, that was bad. It was bad. Yeah. You were bad. And you better be fucking afraid 24 seven about going back to that bad person that you were. And I was like, <laughs> I like something didn't sit right, but I was like, whatever. I need to like take this train out of, you know, yeah. but I was like something. And finally I, I left the, that kind of messaging. Cause I realized, I don't think that's true. I don't think I was ever, or anyone is ever a bad person. Just as you said, you just kind of, you don't know what you're doing. You don't have the knowledge to realize that you're just trying to take care of yourself in a weird fucked up way. And, and also, you know, I also like people to be able to say that it's okay to admit that you had a lot of fun at certain times when you used, it wasn't yeah. like you were in the eighth layer of hell and you were like a terrible person. Like you yeah. to be like, it was fun sometimes. And, you know, I also felt how you felt, Jeremy, where you said like, you found that like, what do you call it? Like the magic combo or like with the Adderall and the, the drug that you crack yeah. the code. That's yeah. what Cause right. I think anybody who goes into using drugs or alcohol, that's what you feel at first. You're like, Oh my yeah. God. I remember thinking like when I first drank in middle school, I was like, everybody should be drunk all the time. Yep. We're all yeah. like we're more loose. We're more friendly. It's more relaxed. Like why yep. are we all drinking? Yeah. You realize we are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then you realize like, oh, it's because the shit that happens as a result of constantly needing to take something to feel a certain way and all yeah. of that. But um, suffice to say that I think this also ties in for me about why it's important what you guys are doing, because a lot of rehab centers will just try to hammer that in like, you need to get fixed. You're fucked. Yeah. You're wrong. Yeah. You're bad. Yeah. And you need to get right. Yeah. yeah. That's not to me. That just is not first of all, not true and not helpful in someone really being able to move away from something that didn't work for them into something that does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's super difficult because a lot of the times when you're on the phone with the treatment center, it's just a salesperson trying to sell you a solution. And as three people in long-term recovery, we understand that the solution is not um, in a box. It's not packaged up as one thing for everybody. Yeah. And it's a fine line between like, you know, when we worked at Narconon and then like it helped us, but we also knew it wasn't for everybody. Yeah. And we were aware of that, but there was people on the phones that would convince you differently for $45,000, you know, and we saw that trend in to other places. And that's kind of what we're trying to, to tackle where it's like, where are the places that people can heal and be seen and heard and taken care of and encouraged to find the messaging that res uh, resonates with them? Yeah. We yeah. were lucky enough to find the messaging that resonated with us, which was like, let's not even talk about being drug addicts. Like, let's just live a better life. 
we're both 21, 22 year old dudes. I had to ask some uh, one of my roommates at Narconon, how the how the fuck do you do laundry? Yeah, and that's where I was, you know. <laughs> so I just kind of needed like a boot camp, like dude, pull your head out of your ass, kid. Mm-hmm. type of thing and that's what i got right on mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and then i got sober and figured out what it means to be a a man in recovery or whatever you know mm-hmm. um but yeah i don't know i was just thinking about that like, yeah no totally dude yeah wild well let's get right. into the good stuff let's get into talking about how not only our external life changes but I know for me, and I imagine, I know for you both, because you wouldn't be where you are today if this wasn't true, that how you feel about yourself and how you can regard yourself really changes when you move into doing things that align with who you believe yourself to truly be, right? Because I, for me, when I was using, when I made the decision to get sober, it was because of two main things. I realized that who I was when I used was someone that I didn't trust, which is a really scary feeling, you know, when you're like- I can make all these promises and say all these things that I won't do, but when I drink or use, I'll go do them. And it's like, I deceive myself and to feel like almost that liability to yourself or that enemy or just sort of not a good friend to yourself is really unsettling, but I also couldn't respect myself. And, you know, just as you said, Dallas, like there's a lot of people who will like stay on that grind where they like, they'll live for the weekend. They'll keep, and you know, there's not a judgment at all. It's your choice to like be a weekend warrior and drink for your whole life. Like, <laughs> I, I'm totally about like, it's everyone's choice. Yeah. But yeah. I reached a point where I was like, I personally don't want to go into my thirties, not being able to respect myself. I don't yeah. want to feel like I'm going to behave in a way that, you know, doesn't feel aligned with what I, my true values are. And the yeah. one thing that was most you know, hindering that was my drinking and using from being someone I could trust and respect. So I offered that because I would love to hear from you guys. Like, what are the biggest fundamental changes that happened for you that today you can be like, I'm really proud of who I am, or I'm really stoked Mm -hmm. about what I've done. Like, how did it shift? How did you used to feel about yourself? And how do you feel about yourself now? Wow. Mm. Great question. Yeah. Big one. You want to lead or you want me to start? Um, Go ahead, Dal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. I know he has a lot of thoughts about himself over there. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Uh, Go ahead, man. Lead the lead the charge, man. So, okay. Let's see, dude. What a wild, huge question. Um, Okay. So, I definitely agree with a lot of what you said. Of like being, it sucks to. It just sucks to be someone that you never thought you would be, or it it sucked to do things you thought you never would do. Um, And that was kind of my experience with addiction. And I can remember, um, I can remember like doing heroin and crack and Xanax and thinking like, if I experience enough pain, maybe it will all go away. Like I thought that I could use enough drugs and have enough experiences and accumulate enough pain that I would get used to it and then it wouldn't be painful. And I remember thinking that like when bad things would happen, I would just say, oh man, this is just like one more little thing and then eventually it'll all go away because I'll just be so used to it. Like, oh, this person passed away from an overdose. Like, okay, cool. The next one will be easier because now I'm used to it. And I had this like idea that I could eliminate pain because I was doing that with drugs and alcohol. You know, I'd smoke heroin and 
not out and not feel anything mm-hmm. you know like if you're ever taken xanax and it's like no wonder they're anti-anxiety like you you can't have anxiety when you're not thinking yeah right and they don't tell you that's that's why they work like, <laughs> like yeah. that's not on the bottle you know you won't be anxious because you won't think yeah maybe people would still take them <laughs> yeah you know? i was like, gonna say was... <laughs> um but so i i guess to get back to your question i don't know why that came up for me but <laughs> to get back to your question like the big things that changed for me is I started to slowly become a person that I did respect. I started to gain control of something that was out of control. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a lot of like proving to myself that a, I'm worthy of having a good life it was like a a self-worth thing like i spent a long time doing bad things and being a bad person and like i was a piece of shit like in my in objectively like if you looked at all the things that i did or all the things that i didn't do it is what you would call like uh, a bad person you know so having to unlearn all of that through sobriety and amends and proving to myself that I was actually a good person, that was like the process. That's like who I am now is I can look back to childhood. And when I was in second grade, I got an award for eating lunch with the deaf kid. Like I hung out with the disabled during my lunch and that was like what I did. And I got Mm. like an award for being like a nice guy, Mm. right? I love that. And then so now I still feel like that's who I am. I got lost back in the in the weeds in high school and stuff like that. But I have like returned to being a good person, Mm -hmm. whatever I identify that as, you know, I think generally I do the right thing and I don't have. um, I know what the right thing to do is Mm -hmm. and I try to live like an ethical, moral life to make up for all the bad shit that I had done. You Mm -hmm. know, I try to help people and, you know, that proves to me that I'm a good person. Like I can say that today when I didn't believe that for a long time, you know? Mm -hmm. So those are probably some of the biggest changes that mean the most. There's, there's probably like personality changes and stuff like that in there. There's like physical changes and stuff, but being able to go to sleep at night thinking, that you're a good person feels pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. That one weighs the most to me as far as like changes that I've made. Mm-hmm. I know it's very broad and vague, but inside it means a lot. Yeah, no, that's you good, know? dude. Yeah, well, it's hitting on some of the strongest components because each of those things filter out into every aspect of your life because those things you describe that change affect how you conduct yourself in your relationships, in your friendships, as in you know, as an employee, as a worker, like whatever you do those come through, you know, and then people see that and it changes, you know, how you share yourself in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. As a good person. Yeah, man. Yeah. Wit, you are, uh, you are a great host and here's the evidence to prove it is that usually Dallas and I have pretty much the same ideas, same philosophies, very similar sentiments about things and you have found one where we differ quite a bit (laughs) yeah 
Bring it. And, oh, and because because we know each other real well, I'll uh, I'll I'll let you uh, pull up a chair to the craziness that is my internal landscape. <laughs> but awesome. Let's go. Let's get in there. I uh, and and I'm I hope that someone listening in recovery or not curious about recovery or not maybe finds a little bit of uh, validation in that I live a great life. I know that objectively I am a good person. Um, but every day without fail, I I don't I don't truly believe that. And there's a part of me that knows it's true. That part of me that's what some would call my essential nature, my essential self, um, my true self, whatever lives beneath ego, however you want to word it. I, there is a part of me that knows I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm a good friend, good person to have around, and that I, I do create, I put out meaningful things into the world. There's a part of me that knows all that's true. But that part of me is drowned out almost every single day. And I think that when I was a drug addict, alcoholic, the, that, that, that part of me that is certain of good was gone. And that the part of me that doesn't believe that I'm a good person, that doesn't believe I create value or offer meaningful things to the world was exclusively driving the car. And I think ultimately that comes, that imbalance comes from a lot of places. Um, it'd be hard to kind of find the place that disconnection comes from or the imbalance comes from. But when I got sober, I remember there was one day where uh, I was in a portion of the program where your schedule is different than everybody else's and you get alone time. And I was sitting out and, you know, the property was absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's a $10 million view. You can see the whole bay from Santa Cruz to Monterey, Carmel. And I lived in Colorado all my life. I'm used to the mountains. I'm staring at the ocean. I'm blown out. You know what I mean? I'm in the clouds. And I thought, man, like, until now, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I thought I wanted to make music, thought I wanted to make movies. And all of a sudden it was clear, like, man, maybe I should help people. Maybe, maybe I could help people. And now I know for a fact that I help people. I know that I have helped a lot of people. I have people reach out to me that I helped in treatment eight years ago that see something on my Instagram and they go, Oh my God, Jeremy. And they remind me of something I did or said. And now, so the, the growth, the difference between how I felt about me then and how I feel about me now is that the part of me that thinks I do good in the world has a voice. It, it's not as loud and it's not there as often, but it is there. And 
every once in a while, I will do something or create something or say something and I'm reminded that it's true. And so my, in a, depending on how you look at it, it's either sad or beautiful. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But the reason I do what I do is because most of the times I don't feel super good about me. And any good I put out in the world is actually pretty self-serving in that I'm trying to prove to this part of me that I am good. And when it happens, when I do know it, when I feel it, it keeps me going. And I know that as a sober person, it is far easier to navigate that imbalance. It's far easier to reconcile the two than it was when I was fucked up. Because when I was fucked up, there was, it wasn't an imbalance. It was an absence of. And now, you know, like we cut a video for the Phoenix and, you know, they're an incredible organization. We watched this video yesterday and it was one of those moments where I was like, dude, Like that video will fucking help somebody objectively. There's no narrative about it. Like, sure. I could have done this a little better. Maybe the color was a little off right there, but at large, like this video is going to fucking help somebody. And that moment I, I let it land. I felt it. I took it home with me and I said, dude, like if anything, I I put out that video and that that's going to help somebody. And I feel good about that, but it is a constant, imbalance both are always present it's just as a sober person i can i know that there are two whereas when i was using i didn't know that there were two yeah 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 well said yeah very well said and thank you for being real about that jeremy because i think that's also important for people to know that just because you get sober doesn't mean that everything's perfect or that you don't have these same feelings that you did when you used, it just means that it's more manageable and that you navigate yourself in a way that feels better than it did before. And yeah, I think more people need to be able to hear people be honest about that, that it's, we can still have these moments of deep insecurity, but you know, just as you spoke to, you start to do it for the bigger purpose, right? Where it's like, I may still question myself at every turn. I may still doubt myself, not feel great about who I am, but then I can remember that what I've done, what I have to say, what I, my talents and gifts can help other people. Yeah. That I don't have to make it about me. It's just objectively what I'm putting out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, to your point, I think this is like a piece of just being a human being, but it's like, especially obvious in recovery that things are like black and white in recovery. It's like, if you don't work a program, you will relapse for people that are like really dedicated to the 12 steps, uh, AANA, whatever, like that's very true for them that if you don't work a program, you will relapse, but it's like black and white, right? There's also like this toxic positivity where it's like, if you get sober, dude, like your life's amazing. And, and that's true. But like, that's not to say like amazing isn't synonymous with 
there aren't problems, you know? And so like, for me, it's like, no, dude, there is no black and white. It's not binary. It's not ones and zeros. We're human beings, dude. We're impossible to figure out, you know? But I know for a fact that when you remove the illusion that drugs and alcohol create, when you dedicate yourself to understanding yourself, even when it sucks, it's still, it's growth. Every time I prove my own narrative wrong, I'm growing a little bit, you know? And like a lot of what I'm doing with this book is trying to explore like, man, there's this huge part of me that just feels so much shame and like, it's not mine. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who, who put the ideas in my head and I don't know why I think the way I do, but I do. And the only option, as far as I can tell, is to understand it and not with judgment, but with curiosity. And I think like what Dal said is so important that like, as a sober person, we are, we are clo as close as possible to being an inspiration for ourselves as we are for other people. And, and I think that's an important thing to acknowledge in recovery is that like, yeah, dude, like if, if being sober were easy, people would just be sober, you know, like all of us would be out of a job if it were that easy. Um, but the kind of hard it is, is the kind that I choose because no matter what, at the end of the day, I know that no matter what I thought, no matter what I experienced, it is a gift. Because without it, my consciousness, who I am, my essence, none of that would grow. I'd flatline. And I'd far rather have peaks and valleys than just be a flatline, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, powerful stuff. But I love it because it just, it hits on, you know, sort of the human condition, right? Which is that it's just, you said it's not black and white. And from what you said, it makes me think about being more curious about it, right? Like rather than judge it too much, just be like, man, like, I still haven't really figured this thing out. I carry this shame. I I carry these feelings that, you know, they might never really fully go away. Yeah. And that's also something that we're sold a lot, especially now. And everybody wants a voice, you know, and I know that feeling. We all want to at least think that we can say something and have it reach people that matters, right? You know, there's also other people who just want to like be seen a certain way and push it out there. And there's a lot of messaging that you can feel perfect and you can never feel bad and, you, and you'll never, you'll, you can fully heal. Right. But I think a big part of life is like allowing for a little bit of that sadness or insecurity, whatever it is, that's just, and just kind of allow it a little bit. Oh yeah. Like let's, let's talk about it then. Cause this, you know, I think we're all in this work together because maybe there's a time in the distant future where like, we don't go through this shit so much. Yeah. Maybe addiction starts to be reduced when people start to inherently feel better about who they are. Yeah. And maybe if we can be truly transparent about how we feel that day can come. Cause I'll, I tell you one thing. It's not going to come by people lying, no. lying about where they really are with themselves or how they got here. Lying won't do anything. It doesn't solve anything, but truth always will allow yeah. for change. Yeah. So, and you both are amazing testaments to that. And, you know, now through everything you've gone through, you get to do this badass work. You get to work together, have fun, change lives, inspire people. Jeremy, you know, you get to make your dreams come true with doing filming and doing what you're so amazing at, you know, and both of you guys, like just bringing like your attributes and your true specialties and having a good time. And I just, I just love it for you both so much. And 
stoked for you both. I could go on, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I think yeah. you're awesome. And thank you for being so honest and open in this conversation. Because again, I think that's what people need to hear most. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're definitely both pumped about what we do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess we don't really analyze the why as much as we have this probably this last <laughs> month. Yeah. Every podcast we're on, uh, just another layer of the onions yeah. getting uh, mm -hmm. opened up, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't know, man. I think um, I appreciate you. Uh, your questions, Whitney, and prying all this open from us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I appreciate what you said too. Just kind of about like who we are and, and, you know, us getting to hang out with each other and, and build this company and talk about sobriety and all that stuff. We get stuck in the weeds a lot of the times with the day-to-day -day stuff and we pull out and hear kind of objectively what we're doing. And it's so cool. Yeah. You Super know? cool. So I appreciate you pointing that out because sometimes we tend to forget that. <laughs> Anytime. So let's go back to a really high note, which is what's in the future? What do you guys see for rehab road trips? Like what is like in your highest dreams? Because you've already made this dream come true. So what do you mm -hmm. guys envision? Like where do you think this could go? Well, we're working on um, all kinds of different things. I think uh, globally our, our highest vision is we want to option what we're doing to a streaming platform. Um, you know, it's like the other day I opened up HBO and typed in recovery, not even addiction, but recovery. And every single theatrical poster, you know, of the movies in there, it's like people on the streets with needles in their arms and like meth files 101, you know, and it's just like, what the fuck? Like this is, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a, a million different cooking shows and travel shows and, uh, and I'm not judging. I love them. You know what I mean? Great, great British bake off is my jam, you know? Um, but also like our, one of our, the highest vision is a few things. One is that we have a brick and mortar spot where people can come and film content, meaningful content to help their business, help their brand. Uh, and we're on our way. Another piece is we are uh, working on a documentary. We're going to start filming, hopefully, uh, in coming up here pretty soon in the spring. Um, and the documentary is going to explore like why it is that we are so addicted to the doom and gloom, why that is the majority of the conversation, and offer maybe that we try and balance that out a little bit. Addiction is a very scary thing. Drugs are a very scary thing. Alcohol is a very scary thing. Um, and also, like, wouldn't it be cool if People could watch a documentary about people actually winning and succeeding, uh, not like intervention or that other bullshit where we all get to uh, enjoy vicariously living other people's trauma. Uh, and that's the documentary. That's what it's going to explore. I think a big part of the vision that we've held from day one is that we option our brand, Rehab Road Trips, to a streaming service and do a travel show where... Uh, Dal and I are cruising around to America's best treatment centers, um, best healing centers, and showing people at home that not only is healing possible, but here's how you do it. Here's resources. This is what EMDR is. This is what, uh, you know, craniosacral therapy is. This is what equine is. These are the spots that are doing it really well. Um, and if for any other reason than to bring a little bit of sunshine to an otherwise very cloudy 
area of our our society you know it's like there's this rain cloud that's just following addiction and recovery and we want to bring a little sunshine to it make it fun think guy fieri uh diners drive-ins and dives but like better hair and beards and you know and less tacky shirts and we're, we're talking about treatment instead of food you know but I can you guys that's... still like go to some of america's best food challenges or something like i'd love the combo of road trips for rehab but also like doing crazy food challenges or something that's part of it i oh, mean we'll definitely fill the air yeah Dal dallas a chef uh he's the foodie of us and uh and that was honestly a big part of it is like we want to make vlogs about, mm -hmm. you know, going to a treatment center, but on the way, finding cool stuff that sober people are doing, finding good eats. Uh, and, and the ultimate goal really is to, to show people that being sober can be super fucking awesome. It's like, we're having so much fun, just like goofing around with our camera, you know? And, and if, if someone listening right now, someone watching at another time, can take away like holy shit like these guys are having a good time maybe that could be me maybe this is act one of my story and act two and three can be super fun and full of life then we've done our job you know yeah absolutely awesome well this is just the beginning i'm so excited for you both this empire is just getting started there's so many avenues for you both and you know people are going to be you're, you're compelling right and you're also you're honest and you're relatable so there's just so much that you all can do and people are going to be so happy to find you and grateful for you both. So thank you guys for taking the journey that you did for doing the work that you do. This was a really fun conversation. So happy that you guys joined for the show. Yeah, we are too. If people listening would like to learn more about both of you and rehab road trips, where can they find you? Yes. Yeah, so go ahead now. Yeah, they can go to our website, rehabroadtrips.com. It was uh, built by this handsome not piece of shit over here jeremy miller <laughs> yeah man you know uh there's evidence right there that he's super creative and smart there we go most of the world does not know how to build websites he does you can also find us on uh rehab road trips at rehab road trips on freaking everything yeah uh what Instagram, we Facebook. we're on tiktok yeah we are uh, navigating tiktok uh as just like we were navigating our emotions when we first got sober, <laughs> it's going as well as you'd imagine that goes. Yeah. Um, but the big thing for us is YouTube and following us or subscribing to our YouTube channel. It's at Rehab Road Trips. We are trying to get to a thousand subscribers and we are very far away from that, but we would like okay. to get closer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sub subscribed. I'll spread the word. You'll get Thanks, you guys, things happen so quick. You just never know. And uh, yeah, I just sky's the limit for you both. So congratulations. And again, thanks for being on the show. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guest. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Don't forget to let your light shine and to keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.